Everybody doing all right? Yeah. That was encouraging. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Woo! Thank you, worship team. You guys did a great job. All right, everybody, pull out your Bibles if you got them. And something to take note to it. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got one to give to you. If you don't own one, we want to give you one that you can keep. Our host team is going to hand them out for you. So just keep your hand up. They're coming. They're right back in front of real quick. And then also, if uh, you have a, a child with you who needs something to cuddle with or help them take notes with, kids, you can raise your hand if you want something in your hands too. So um, keep your hands up. You're good. I promise you they're coming. All right. Pull, pull out your Bibles if you have them. Keep your hands up if you want one. It's coming your way right now. And take out something to take notes with. Phone. Um, notebook. We got this. The host team's coming. I promise they're working hard. And they look great. Especially you. Come on. You do look good. All right. Uh, Bibles, the notes. I'm encouraged this morning. We're going to believe that God's going to speak something on the Bible today. Uh, like I said, this is, I just, um, we're a new church in town. We're going to start our church off with a series. We're calling it This Changes Everything. Because uh, when I, I grew up uh, kind of around church and everything like that, but walking with God never really clicked with me. And when I was in college and kind of came to the end of my rope, I started reading the Bible. Uh, not for the first time, but kind of with new eyes for the first time. And I started reading some of this stuff and realizing if this stuff is true, this is uh, way more, this changes way more than what I do on Sunday morning. Or this changes maybe the fact that I'm uh, more than just being in a small group or acting better than some people. This, this changes everything. If Jesus really is who he said that he was, right? So uh, we're, start, we're titling this series, This Changes Everything. And the first week we started in Genesis chapter 1, um, we talked about in the beginning was God. God, not me, not you, and so God is indeed uh, rightly named God, and not me. So uh, that changes everything, if there really is a God, and uh, He really has been there since the beginning, then maybe God really does know me, maybe He really does know you, maybe there really is hope, no matter what your foremost point is that you're facing. So, Light of the World was week one, last week we talked about a sound, how when God wants to change everything, He releases a sound. And we look through different parts of the Bible, when God speaks, it's the voice of God that changes everything, it's not just self-talk or motivation or anything, but when God speaks, He changes everything. Amen? Yeah, amen. amen. All right, so part three, we're calling Dirty Laundry. Dirty Laundry. So go ahead and write that up at the top of your page. Dirty Laundry. Part three of This Changes Everything, Dirty Laundry. And uh, I don't know about you, but laundry has never really been like my thing. Amen. Never really, uh, actually cleaning up after myself, <laughs> not totally my thing. I mean, it's like, not what I messed up in life. So, I don't know if that's your thing or not, but like maybe my bed growing up, my parents always tried to, they're probably about to shut me down, but uh, I, they always tried to get me to make my bed growing up, but I just, they, you know, never got around to it. And some of you were like, well, all you gotta do is spank that boy and he'll make his bed. But they had plenty of things to spank him for, so they had to pick their battles, you know? So, so making my bed, cleaning up myself didn't really, didn't really happen. Um, and, you know, putting away the dishes, like I said, things I do on just clean up myself, not, not my gifted. It's just not, not gifted in cleaning up after myself. So not only was laundry not my thing, uh, like I didn't really do it, like I didn't do it at all. Okay, so confession, my mom always did the laundry. Thank you, mom. Appreciate that. So uh, my, something you need to know about my mom is that her maiden name is Scanlon. And there's something in the DNA of Scanlon females that like it's part of their DNA to have a clean house all the time. They're amazing. And it's it's it's, it's so cool. And so my mom, like after every meal, cleaned every dish. Wipe every inch of countertop. That's some of you in here, and some of you are like, I didn't know you could wipe the counters. So but she, she would clean up everything all the time, and it was, it was really awesome. You know, She was a professional 
and getting stains out of my baseball jersey. I don't know how. Some of the stuff she got out, I don't know how she did it. But that, that was, yeah, that's definitely her thing. And so I'm uh, one of four kids, and I have three sisters. So I'm the only boy. Um, so my mom raised my sisters to act like scammer and clean up everything in the house. And so it's kind of like me and my dad, we kind of did the outside stuff. And the girls did and took care of the house like camps on the inside. And it worked great. It was awesome. But, you know, I never really learned how to do some of the inside the house stuff because... I was outside. I promise I was doing productive things. But I'm, and, and I just on that note, I'm telling you, if you want to see poetry in motion, you need to come to one of our come to our house after I got a holiday meal and watch my sisters clean up the kitchen. It is borderline art. It is just it's amazing how quickly and efficiently they do this stuff. It really is a DNA thing, I'm convinced. So laundry, not really my thing. And when I went off to when I went off to college, you gotta figure it out, right? Um, my mom wasn't around, which is part of the point of college, but, you know, I had to figure it out. And I remember, you know, six months into school realizing I should do some laundry. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay, it was like a weekend, I promise. So I realized, man, I, my laundry's not going to clean itself, I'm going to figure this out. So I, walk, I remember going downstairs, walking into the dorm room, or the dorm building, like, laundry place. And, you know, I've seen people do laundry before, I think it can't be that hard. So I just threw everything in there. Threw in some detergent, started it, came down later, put it in the dryer, pulled it out, and I was like, I'm good. I nailed it. This laundry thing is not that bad. I can totally do this. So, so right off the bat, I mean, I can nail this laundry thing. Well, I think second semester, so a while into my freshman year, my parents came and visited uh, me at school for a weekend, and my mom walks in and starts inspecting the dorm room, and it wasn't the cleanest place in the world, but livable, portable, at least, that for me. So uh, she starts inspecting the dorm room, and then uh, we're just hanging out, and she looks at me, and she says, Hey, Andrew, when was the last time you washed your sheets? And I said, What do you mean? <laughs> and she looked at me with horror, horror in her eyes, and terror in her voice, and said, What do you mean? <laughs> no one told me. I should have known, but I didn't nail that one. I didn't nail that one. The clothes I had, I had sort of nailed, but the sheets, not so much. So the next year comes around, sophomore year of college, I'm growing as a man, washing my sheets. Come on, somebody. Thank you. So I'm washing my sheets. Mom and dad come for another weekend, inspects the room. It's definitely cleaner than the year before. Praise the Lord. Sheets are clean, doing great. My mom says, hey, basically, you're doing a great job. How about I go down the hall and do your laundry for you? It's just like home. Awesome. So I give her the clothes and the detergent, and she goes down the hall. She comes back a couple minutes later. She says, hey, Andrew, where's the laundry detergent? So I gave it to you. And she said, you know, you gave me the fabric softener. Where's the detergent? <laughs> and I just kind of like, you know, take a look at her. She's kind of looking at me like, and we're kind of doing that. You know how you do that thing where you just, you both, you, you both think the other one's missing it? Fabric software and laundry detergent are not the same. I was like, they look the same. I, mean, I didn't know, so I totally dropped the ball on that one too. It, it was um, it was it was bad. So where's the where's the detergent? You give me the fabric softener. That's a great question. Must be at the store somewhere. Looking exactly like the fabric softener does. Can somebody back me up? The containers look the same. Yeah, yeah. And they don't say that. You're just supposed to know. Nobody told me. So laundry not my thing. So you know. I, most of the time, I think, may have had clean laundry in college, but 
At least in my head, it was clean. So dirty laundry never, never really been my thing. I have gotten much better, but if I'm honest, still, my wife does all the laundry around her house. It's just better that way. I mean, I mow the lawn, she does the laundry. It's a great marriage. We just keep things happy. Okay. So um, some of you are like, well, I can never come back to this church. I'm appalled that you don't know what laundry detergent is. And I'm sorry, okay? Don't judge me about it. And some of you are still trying to figure out, like, wait, I have fabric softener and not detergent. So go home, double check the difference. You need at least the detergent. I think the fabric softener is optional, but don't feel weird. So dirty laundry never, never really been my thing. And like I said, you can judge me all you want, but we've all got stuff that we can't just like totally get a grasp on in life, right? There's 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 all there's something that we all have. Like maybe for you it's being on time, like you just can't do it. You leave early, but then you don't end up leaving early, and it doesn't matter how hard you try, you just can't be on time. Some of you, um, you, you can't quite get a grasp on not hitting the snooze button. It's just like not my thing, waking up, just not gifted and waking up in the morning, right? And some of you maybe it's spelling. Or driving, anybody? <laughs> Some people is you driving. So we can judge each other all we want, but you know, we've all got something that we can't quite get a can't quite they get figured out in life. So and some of it's funny. Some of it's some funny stuff. It's laundry, it's driving, it's whatever. But there's definitely some things that we all have that kind of get a little bit more serious and a little deeper than just maybe I can't spell that well when I text message. Maybe your spouse and you can't just get a grasp on how to work through stuff. And it's like conversations start off great, but then it always ends up exploding. To, God, we started off so that we just can't quite get a grasp on not blowing up the kiss. Or maybe just for you, you can't get past the past. Stuff you did a long time ago, or who you used to be, you just, you just can't get over it. Or, or what somebody did to you. And I'm not saying it wasn't legitimate. You just, it's just, you know, you're stuck in that rut. Like, I just can't get past it. I'm trying, but I just can't get past it. Maybe it's your spending. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's your thoughts about you, or your thoughts about other people. You just, ah, we just got stuff that we just can't quite get past. No matter how hard we try, we just keep on messing up. We can't get it under control. And then we come to church. And uh, we hear teaching uh, from the Bible about how awesome Jesus is and how he wants to give you an amazing, he wants to give a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants to do amazing things with you. And we sing songs about before the, the throne of God, I'm spotless and clean. And we sing these all great songs, but if we're honest, sometimes we're carrying these flaws in the church. And it's like, gosh, that sounds great. But I just. I can't do my laundry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That sounds awesome, but I can't even figure out my laundry, let alone do all that. Do that what God's called me to. I, I, still, I can't stop going to that place. I can't stop looking at that thing. I can't stop taking or buying. That's, I can't. It sounds great, but I can't even get this under control. We've all got something. And what encourages me is that the Bible is full of people just like you. All the people who just have some dirty laundry and they just can't quite get a grasp on it. And one of my favorite people in the Bible is uh, a guy named Peter because I think that Peter and I have a lot of common. He's got a lot of passion, he's got a big mouth, and he's kind of a mess. And I'm like, Peter, my man, we can totally hang out and like break some stuff, you know? The good news is he's also one of Jesus' three best friends on the planet. 
which means Jesus isn't too good for my mess for yours. Praise God. That's a good one right there. Jesus isn't too good for people like us who just don't have it all together. He's okay with Peter. He's okay with me. He's okay with you. So Peter was uh, just a little bit of background on Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, he's a fisherman, uh, fisherman, fisherman, whatever, that Jesus found by the lake one day. He's, he's working on his fishing stuff, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, follow me. And so Peter's like, cool. Drops everything, doesn't clean up after himself, doesn't do his laundry. He just gets up and walks after Jesus, and he starts following Jesus. And um, throughout their friendship, throughout the friendship of Jesus and Peter, uh, Peter had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Sometimes his passion really kind of put him on top of the whole disciples. Like, man, that's the way to do it, Peter. That passion just really took you to the top. And sometimes it made him look really silly, too. So he kind of did the whole up and down thing pretty, pretty extreme. So, like, for example, one time Jesus was asking his disciples, he wanted to know, he says, hey, guys, who do you say that I am? You've been following me. You've been seeing me do all this kind of stuff, but who do you say that I am? Am I just a good guy? Who, who do you say that I am? And um, they, they start answering him, but not with who they say he is. Uh, they start answering him with answers about who other people say Jesus is. And Jesus stops and he says, no, I'm not asking who everybody else says that I am. I'm asking who do you say that I am. How many of you know that Jesus isn't really worried about how much you know about what other people have to say about Jesus? He wants to know who do you say that he says, who, who do you say that I am? And I think they, they all kind of sit there stunned for a second. But then Peter speaks up, and he, he just goes for it. And he says, you are the son of the living God, the Christ the Messiah. He just, he throws out there, which was a, I can't go into it about the significance of him saying that. I mean, he could get stoned for saying stuff like that. But he says, you're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus turns to him and he says, nail it. That's it. And he his, Peter's name used to be Simon. He says, Simon, your name is no longer Peter. Or your name is no longer Simon. Your name is Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. I mean, high point. Come on. Another time, though, uh, Peter and Jesus go up this mountain with the other two closest friends of Jesus, uh, James and John. And they go up on this mountain, and Jesus has something to show them. And Things get very interesting. Jesus all of a sudden starts to glow with the glory of God. There's a cloud. All of a sudden, uh, these two prophets from hundreds of years before who had since died like show up on the mountain. I can't explain it all, but this is a significant moment. Again, we can't totally go into. But it's a, it's a crazy moment. And Peter, James, and John are sitting there shocked. Like, this is crazy. And they're kind of shocked. But instead of staying quiet, just letting Jesus do his thing, Peter steps up. He's like, I need to take control. I can fix this. Like, there's nothing broken. You know, just be quiet, you know? But he steps in. He's like, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start building some tents. Jesus needs a tent. Elijah needs to move. We're going to start building some tents, and this is where we're going to stay tonight. He's like, I got this. And then if the Bible says, while he was speaking, so in the middle of his sentence, the audible voice of God booms down on him. And he says, this is my son. I'm talking about Jesus. Follow him. Listen to him. As if to say, Peter, please just stop talking. Like, I'm trying to reveal my son as the Savior of the universe. Just shut him out. Like, just forget the tense and just listen for a second. So it's kind of a low point, like rebuked by the audience of God. Low point. Low point. So Peter has some highs, some highs, and some lows. And turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to pick up a story here. Uh, and, and I want to set the stage a little bit for who Peter is and what, what the friendship is like between Jesus and Peter. As you turn to Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to tell you about where we're picking up the story here. Matthew chapter 26. 
Because Peter's life is just an example of having a lot of dirty laundry that we can't figure out what to do with. But Jesus, as a friend, just shows that he changes them. So Matthew 26, we pick up the story of Jesus' life. This is Jesus' last night before he's crucified. Like, he's about to get arrested in a few hours, betrayed by his best friends, arrested, falsely accused and tried, and then killed. So this is intense. His last meal with his best friends, the guys who've been with him through thick and thin, Matthew 26, is where we are. You there, stand there. This is probably the most famous meal in all of history. It's called the Last Supper. And at this meal, this is where uh, Jesus institutes the practice of communion, which if you've ever been in church before, you've probably heard about. He, he does this thing where he says, take the bread and the wine, this is my body, this is my blood. He institutes this element of a meal that Christians by the billions have done through history. I mean, that, that's a big time meal. Nobody remembers my dinner like that from thousands of years ago, right? It's a significant meal. This is also a meal wherein, we're going to read Matthew's account of the meal, but in, in the book of John, John tells us about this meal. And uh, this is the meal where Jesus says one of the most famous things that he ever said when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One of the most famous verses. Maybe after John 3.16, you know, for God still loved the world. I mean, that's a pretty famous one. This is a big meal. This is a big meal. So we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26. Um, verse 30. So we are pretty much picking up at the end of dinner. Just read with me in, in, in verse 30. Just one verse right here. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they, uh, they finished the meal, and Jesus says, Okay, I want to go spend some time with you guys alone. Jesus is in a lot of inner turmoil. He knows what's about to come. He knows the cross is coming. He knows it's going to hurt. And um, we're about to find out something else that he knows that is going to hurt the death. Verse 30. One. Then Jesus turns to them and he says, You will all fall away because of me this time. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flocks will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. It's an intense moment. They just had this amazing meal together with Jesus in his turmoil. He turns to them and says, uh, Guys, I'm just going to tell you, I know you're all about to give up on me. You've been with me through everything, but tonight you're all about to ditch me. And I know it because it was prophesied hundreds of years ago. You're going to fulfill the word that you would never want to fulfill, but you're all going to fall away from me. It's an intense time. And um, as we keep reading, we see Peter show up in typical Peter fashion. He's the first one to speak, verse 23. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Peter steps up and he says, Jesus, I can tell you going through something. And I know we've had some ups and downs, but not tonight. Not tonight. I'm your God. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't totally understand what's all about to go down, but I'm with you, Jesus. They, they may all leave you, but I'm ready to die with you. I'm ready to die with you tonight. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, not only are you going to run, but you're going to blatantly deny me three times before morning ever comes. Haven't we all been there in that moment of passion? I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going back there. I know I've screwed it up in the past, but this time is different. I'm never going back. I know I've failed in the past, but this time is different. 
I'm going to stay strong this time. I'm going to stay strong this time. I know how Peter feels. I, I've been there. I, I, I get that. I get it. So determined. So feeling so strong. Feeling so sure. But Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, I love you, actually, but I just want to be honest. You're going to deny me. Peter says, no, I'll show you. I'll show you. You've heard people say, it's not going to be different. Whatever. No, this time it's going to be different. Over the next handful of verses, they, they go out to this garden together. Jesus spends time in intense prayer, knowing that his death is imminent. One of his best friends betrays him, and Judas, he comes, hands him over to uh, the, the people who are going to end up killing him. If you look at verse 56 of chapter 26, same chapter, look over at verse 56. Jesus says, while all this is taking place, the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him and fled. He was right. Everybody ditches out on him. But if we keep reading verse 57, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Peter's like, not tonight. Everybody else can leave, but like I said, I'm, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. I'm coming in. He's being the man, right? He's like, no, I'm going to be different this time. I'm coming. I'm coming with you. He walks into the courtyard. He sits with the guards. And it says right here, he's going to see the end. He's like, I'm seeing this to the end. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Not this time. Over the next ten verses, G uh, Peter watches from a distance as, uh, as really Jesus' only friend and only ally in the midst of people who hate him and want to kill him. Peter watches from a distance as he is falsely accused. He's He's, he's falsely tried by people who hate him, but he's not giving in this time. He's not running. He's not going to run this time. But verse 69 of the same chapter, keep looking. Peter's been sitting there for 10 verses watching, saying, I'm going to stay strong. But Peter says, now, in verse 69, it says, Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus in Galilee, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, saying, I swear, I swear, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up to him and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you know, denied me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Dang. Not again. The rooster crows. And it hits him. I've been there. Nothing have ever been there. I'm not going down that road again. I'm not going down the road. All of a sudden you look up and you're down the road. Oh, I said I was going to do this. I was doing so good. How, how did this happen again? How did I get back here? Struggling. I think we've all felt that pain, the discouragement, the defeat. I was doing so good. I was standing so strong. But then the heat turned up and I just, I, I don't know what happened. Over the next chapter of chapter 27, Jesus is crucified. He's wrapped in wrapping rape clothes. And he's put in a tomb. And he's put in a tomb that's covered by a huge rock. 
And not just is it covered by a huge rock, but there's guards put there to make sure that nobody can get close. They're guarding this massive stone. So not only is Peter's friend killed, but this was the man who Peter banked everything on. He had said, you're the son, you're the savior, you're the savior of the world, the son of the living God. I'm banking everything on you. Jesus was the one person who believed in Peter. He kept giving him another shot. He kept giving him another shot. Time after time, low after low, he said, no, you're making a rock. We're going to do this. We're going to build this church. I'm going to believe in you. You can do this. Jesus was the only one who believed in him. He had given purpose and mission for his life, but now he's left alone, weeping bitterly. All alone. Replaying every time he failed in the past, too. Hearing every voice reminding him, I told you. I told you. You thought you were going to make it, but I knew you would you knew you wouldn't. We all knew you wouldn't. We knew you'd be right back here. You ever been there? I've been there. Stuck in a corner, alone, weeping bitterly, with this every voice on the inside saying, I told you so. I told you so. You know you're made for more, but you just can't get a grip. Your experiences show you you can't do it. The voices in your head tell you you can't do it. And you've heard God tell you what you're made for. Because, because even this is a Christian struggle with this. I know God's called me for more, but I just can't get to it. Or maybe you're not a Christian, but you've been to church before, and you're like, man, that sounds awesome, but I just got all this dirty laundry. Or maybe you're hearing this for the first time, and, but you felt it. I know there's more to life, but I just can't get it. I just can't get to it. You know God has made you for something more. You know there's more to life. But what it seems like between you and the life you know is out there for you, there's a massive tomb with a massive stone, a massive wall, guarded by your past, guarded by your experiences, guarded by your discouragement. God, it's a big wall between you and what you're called to. And you just can't get through it. You just can't get through it. Chapter 26, verse 75 says, And he went out and wept bitterly, period. If you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that so many times life feels like it's put a period at the end of your sentence. But what we've been talking about is that when you see an end to your sentence, God speaks an end to your story. He speaks an end to your story. I want to pick up the story of Peter's journey in Luke chapter 24. So you're going to turn the pages a few times. We're going to Matthew, then Mark, then the book of Luke. So turn your Bible to, chapter, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read a few verses here in Luke chapter 24. We're talking about what happened after uh, the crucifixion. And Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead, but everybody's really discouraged. Luke 24 verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, period. Because Jesus is dead. End of story. This whole thing's over. Verse 2, what's the first word of verse 2? And. And they found the stone rolled away. In the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, aka angels. And as they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. 
Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, or returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven, the, 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 the disciples, is what they're talking about, all the things to the eleven, and all the rest of the people who had been following Jesus. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe him. They're trying to tell them, oh, the grave's empty. Jesus is who he said that he is, but it looks like an idle tale. They're like, nobody raises from the dead. Come on. You're sad, you're grieving, you're seeing things, angels. Yeah. Right. But they run to these guys and they tell them, no, 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 the tomb is empty. And everybody thinks it's an idle tale, but verse 11 says, but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. Everybody else thinks it's an idle, idle tale. But Peter is just crazy enough. He's just desperate enough. He's just broken enough. He's just defeated enough. To think, wait a second. There is no way. But maybe. There is no way. But maybe. Y'all can stay here. I gotta go see this. I gotta go see this. Is the tomb really empty? You hear it running the whole way. Huffing and puffing, running it through his head. No way. Is it really empty? Could it really be? What if, what if it is? This changes everything. This changes everything. I, I knew he was who I, I said that he was. Maybe I can be who he said I can be. This changes everything. What if it's really empty? He runs to the tomb. I really knew he was the Messiah. Oh, please let that tomb be empty. When he gets to the tomb, verse 12 finishes. But he arose and ran in the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. An empty grave. There's an empty grave. Yeah. Yeah. There's an empty grave. At the end of his sentence, there was an end. There's an empty grave. And there's an empty grave. And he walks away marveling at what had happened. I was thinking about these verses a, long, a, a couple years ago, and I just... That phrase, he stooped down and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, stuck out to me. I don't know what that's all about. But I think that there's a message here as we wrap up. We don't have a whole lot more time. But there's something here about these linen cloths. I believe that not only, I think we can look at Jesus at dinner and he, he looks at his friends and say, Y'all gonna give up on me. He said, Man, that's mean. Like last thing you say to these guys before you die, this is pretty rough. But maybe he knew that not only was Peter gonna deny him, says, you're going to deny me, but after I rise, I'll see you in Galilee. They got caught up with that you're going to deny me, but he said, I know you're coming. The linen cloths, I believe um, Jesus knew that Peter was going to come. I believe Jesus probably knew Peter was going to be the one who would come. And I think he left him there for a reason. It might have even been a handwritten note. But I think in and of themselves, these claws are a message that Jesus had for Peter. Probably started off something like this, Peter, I need you to come. And I have something that I need you to understand. Not only 
Is my body not here and I'm alive? But my grave clothes stay here. He says, remember, at dinner, I tried to tell you, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. You can't come to the Father except through me. I mean, you do, you, you, you got that. You said, yeah, no, Lord, I'm with you. I got all that. But um, I left these clothes here because I need you to know today that uh, everything is tripping you up, wrapped around your ankles, white packs that you just can't seem to step over, that are wrapping you up. You've been trying to hobble along. This stays here in your grave. Everything that's tripping you up and keeping you from walking in the way that I have for you, I'm the way. It says, Peter, I need you to see something. Everything in your life that's been wrapped around your eyes, the lies that you're hearing that are making you not see the man that I know you are, the man I made you to be. Everything, all of the experiences wrapped around you, all you can see is your failures. Everything that's been covering up your eyes is here in the grave. Everything that's been shielding you from the truth, I am the truth. And I think he has something to say. Peter, everything that has been wrapping you up, strangling you, marking you, reminding you that you can't do this life on your own, I am the life. Peter, I came out of the grave with everything that killed me stayed in there. And Peter walked away marveling. He ran to the tomb looking for an empty tomb, but he found something better. It was empty in that there was no Jesus, but it wasn't empty in that there were the grave clothes. Peter walking away, marveling at what had happened. I think he's thinking, wow. Peter goes, um, just a couple weeks later, we talked about Acts 2 last week, sound comes from heaven, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people gather around this little room because they hear a sound and nobody knows what it is. Somebody needs to stand up and tell them what's going on. Guess who stands up? Peter goes on to be one of the most central figures in all of church history. On that rock, Jesus built his church, and hell still can't prevail against him. He stood up and preached to the masses. Peter lived a crazy life, and he had a lot more opportunities to deny Jesus again, but he never did. Huh, it changed everything. What he saw in the grave that day changed everything. Walking with Jesus, all this sort of stuff, doing the right thing, he still denied it when he did the most. But when he saw the grave clothes, it changed everything. Because not it wasn't uh, throughout the rest of Peter's life, uh, he had the opportunity to deny Jesus again. Hey, deny Jesus and we won't beat you. He said, bring it. Deny Jesus and we won't lock you up in prison. Here's my wrists. Deny Jesus and we won't kill you. People come to him and they say, We're gonna kill you and we're gonna crucify you just like you, Jesus. He says, no, you're not. He said, unless you turn, we're going to crucify you just like you, Jesus. He says, not only am I not going to deny him, but you're not going to crucify me like my Jesus. Put me upside down. That's my king. He, he completely changed. He walked away marveling. What is it? What changed that day? Ha, for Peter to go from dinner 
with God in the flesh, denying Him still, but now being the central figure in, the, in all of church history. What changed? I believe there was a powerful decision that Jesus or that Peter made in that moment at the grave. That is a powerful decision for all of us to make. And it's the same, it's, we have the opportunity to make the same decision, to see the same result. We have the opportunity to live the post-Peter at the grave life. Amen. But it comes down to a decision for us. What Peter's decision, I think maybe might have been included in the note. I don't know. But I think maybe the note was closed. Will you leave him here? Will you leave him here? Peter decided that he was tempted to put pick him right back up. I think that's us sometimes. We know Jesus set us free, but remember that time. Jesus is saying, I think he closed Peter, but I left him in the grave. Will you leave him in the grave? That's the decision that we have to make. And that's my whole point this morning. Will you leave what Jesus left in the grave? In the grave. That's the decision for us. We talk in church about, or we read the Bible about living a holy life. And I just can't get a grasp on it, right? And sometimes we're praying, Lord, set me free. Give me a breakthrough. And he's saying, no, just leave it in the grave. What other breakthrough do you need? I died, and I came out of the grave. That's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. Maybe we don't need more breakthroughs. Maybe we need to stop putting on the great place that Jesus made in the grave. So I want to encourage you this morning to start spending more time maybe at the tomb and less time remembering your life before the cross. Right? You need to start looking around. It's really laying there. Yeah. <laughs> Your lust it really is laying there. Yeah. Your insecurities really did get left in the grave. And it's a journey. We've got to figure it out. You know? But the, the journey isn't followed through more breakthroughs. It's just more revelation. Oh, I can take this off. You put it, just take it back. That's the power of Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. The resurrection power of Jesus is more and even just forgiving your sins, it's leaving your great clothes in the grave. And you can walk out and be the one that God's called you to be. And I think I want to just encourage you guys to start putting that into practice. What happened Jesus? Okay, what great clothes am I still wearing? There's probably always going to be something more we'll work but it's okay. Just, how do I take them off? You're going to leave the great The lust, the insecurity, the addiction, the pain, the past. Could he really heal it? Because Jesus walked out with healed up wounds so that by his wounds you could be healed. But he didn't walk out with your grave clothes so that you could have to wear it. Second thing I want us to start putting into practice and I want to encourage you with is um, are you helping other people take off their grave clothes? Or are you putting them back on? I think that's where we learn to love one another, right? We can do it with our own past and our own problems, but can you look at somebody else's problems and say, that's not who Jesus is? Can you, can you put down your offense against somebody and, and in the power of the resurrection say, no, Jesus paid for those grave clothes. You might still be wearing them and it might still be hurting me, but I'm not going to see you according to the grave clothes. I'm going to see you according to new life in Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
think that we have an opportunity to be spreaders of this truth. That people are so stuck. But Jesus really is powerful enough to not even just come through and give a great feeling, a great emotion, but to leave the ground for those in So I want us just to stand up as we close here. We're going to wrap up here. We leave the grave clothes in the grave for you and for everybody else around you. This is where we speak encouragement to one another. Not speaking curses. You know when people screw it up, no, I know you're better than that. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. So how I want to close uh, this morning is we like to be people who respond uh, to what God's doing um, in, in us this morning. And if we're going to do something a little different, usually we have people come up to the front and pray, but um, we're going to do something different. This might be super uncomfortable for you, but it's worth it. The life that people could live after the grave is worth anything. It's worth anything for you. And I think, I just wonder if there's some grave clothes that need to be left up at the front of the room today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, and you're still wrapped up in the power of death. And you need to come and let him start unwrapping you by, the, by his wounds, not by your death, by his death. And you need to let him take care of what only he can take care of. Maybe there's some stuff from your past that you just can't get rid of. Maybe there's some current stuff, some addiction, some struggle, some pain, some whatever. You need to come and just let Jesus take off the grave clothes. Or you just need to come right now. Say, I'm not going to carry this. I don't know how to walk forward from here, but I believe, Lord, that you can help me. Maybe you need to come up and you're holding a fence against somebody. You need to just forgive them. He said, we still got stuff to work through. You don't owe What if what would happen in the city? If we could not have everybody owe us something. We could just give forgiveness, right? So I'm gonna pray for us here in just a second. We're gonna sing a song called Mary Lord. It's just a proclamation of this truth. And if you're in any one of those boats, if there's something on your life that you want to leave here today, I always want to encourage you. Be bold. 